0: Well, today, we're going to talk about mirroring the master in our modern world. I tease that you have to say that three times quickly before you can get lunch today. (laughs) I am my father's daughter when it comes to alliteration. We tease him about that, and, and I do it, too. But, you know, no matter what age we are, no matter what stage of life we're in, we've probably all heard the story of Snow White, right? You know, and the story of how the king's wife, shortly after she gives birth to a little baby girl, she dies, And then the king uh, remarries, and he takes a wife that is beautiful, but she is wicked to the core. Remember her? And in this queen's possession is a magic mirror. And every morning, she asks her mirror, you know, you can say this with me, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of us all, right? And her magic mirror, which cannot tell a lie, every morning tells her, you, queen, are the fairest in the land. But eventually, remember, the, queen, the king's daughter grows into a beautiful, beautiful young woman. So one day, when the evil queen asks her mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of us all? She gets a different response, doesn't she? She gets the response, you, queen, are fairest here, so true, but Snow White is a thousand times more beautiful than you. And, of course, this enrages the wicked queen. And she orders her huntsman to take Snow White into the woods and kill her. And remember, the huntsman doesn't have the heart to do that, so he just takes her deep into the woods and leaves her there. And then she, of course, stumbles upon the home of the seven dwarfs. And we won't go for the rest of the story, you know. <laughs> but, you know, the queen's magic mirror couldn't, couldn't lie. It had to give an honest answer. But only in the sense of outward physical beauty, right? Right. You know, we've all heard that expression, the mirror doesn't lie. And there is a sense in which that's true, right, regarding outward physical appearance. And women of all ages, I guess we've all had our issues with the mirror from time to time, haven't we? You know, if you're a young girl, you may struggle with the body type you have, or you struggle with complexion issues. You know, And if you've reached your middle years or beyond, you struggle with the unique issues of aging, right? I saw a poem recently that I thought was humorous, and I think those of us who've reached our middle years or beyond can relate to this. But it said, Mirror, mirror, you tell lies. Who put crow's feet round my eyes? Mirror, mirror, hanging there, who put that gray in my hair? Mirror, mirror, is that me? Is that really me I see? Mirror, mirror, stop your fun. That's not me. That is my mom. And of course, now, Christy, see, I have to quickly say, but since my mom is right here in the audience, if I age as well as my mom, I will be so happy. But I tease that I've already lost that, that hope because, and I think it's because I have four children. She has three, and that extra child just did me in. But, but, you know, we as Christian women have to remind ourselves that there is a very, very real sense in which the mirror does lie, doesn't it? because it doesn't show us what is beautiful in the eyes of God. You know, it's normal for us, and I think God designed us as women to like pretty things and to want to look pretty. You know, you get a little group of girls together, don't you notice if they see a flower or a butterfly, you hear, "Oh!" It's just a typical girl reaction, it seems like. And it's normal for us to want to look our best. You know, we can look around at God's creation, and we can look at the butterflies and the birds and the flowers, and realize that God himself appreciates physical beauty. You know, we can look in the book of Genesis. You remember reading about Sarah? What did the Bible say about Sarah? Remember? She was very beautiful, the Bible says. But what's interesting is that her physical beauty is not what God said was precious in his sight. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, There it tells us, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. I think I like that word, something that's precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So we see that what was in the past and still is precious in the sight of God involves the hidden person of the heart. But since since a literal mirror won't show us our hidden person of the heart, will it? It only shows us our exterior, our physical appearance. How can we examine the hidden person of the heart? Well, you know, when we got ready to talk about these lessons at our congregation uh, at Eastside in Maryville, one of our sweet elders came up to me before Our Lady's Day, and he said, Courtney, I think I have something that might work as a good visual aid for your lesson. So he gave me this. And I don't know if you can see it very well in the back. But it's a compass and a mirror combination. And uh, I have to admit that had he not then gone on to explain to me how this works, I would have thought that, oh, you've got a compass. So when you go hiking, you can know where you're going. And then you've got a mirror to just check your makeup and your lipstick <laughs> so you can you know look nice and fresh while you're hiking. But my sister <laughs> knows that I am not an outdoors person. But <laughs> um, but anyway, but what it is is it's a, it's a compass design so that you can hold your compass into the horizon and then you read the reflection of the compass in the mirror. And so holding the, the compass up into the horizon, into your target area, allows you to get a better, more accurate bearings on your location. That's the, that's the actual purpose of the mirror. Also, the mirror can be used, too, as a signal mirror. In an emergency situation, you know how you could reflect? I do know this much. You can reflect uh, sunlight onto a target area to help people who might be trying to find you, to show them your location. And he thought this would be a good visual aid. And I think it is. Because, you know, God has given us a tool, thankfully, his word that acts for us like a compass or a mirror, right? Because just like a compass, God's word will show us exactly where we are located, where the hidden person of our hearts, our hearts and minds, where we are located in terms of the position that God wants us to have. And then if we think about it this way, like the mirror, if we then apply God's word to our lives and we reflect that light to others, we can help bring others to a right relationship with God as they follow the light of God's truth that we're signaling to them. But, you know, in order to do that, to be sure that our hidden person of the heart is beautiful, and then to be able to reflect that to others, we have to be doers of the word, don't we, like Miss Nina just read? James one twenty two through 25 tells us, and we'll read it again, but Miss Nina did a wonderful job. <laughs> I don't have her nice voice. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a glass or a mirror, some versions say. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So if we examine our reflection, our hidden person of the heart, in the mirror of God's word, as part of what we might call our spiritual beauty routine, then God's word's going to show us where we need to make any spiritual beauty makeovers. But you know, if instead of looking to God's word, we look to the world around us, we're going to be deceived, aren't we, by what we might call inaccurate reflections. I think of it like this. Have you ever been to a fun house room of mirrors you know, like at a fair or a carnival, or you've probably at least seen, seen them on TV. You know, and you go into one of those, those rooms, and everywhere you turn is a different mirror. You know, and you go to, you look at one mirror, and you look extremely short and extremely wide. And then you turn around, and suddenly you look extremely tall and extremely thin. And I always say, that's the one I like. <laughs> right there, that's good. But, you know, everywhere you're turning, you're seeing a different reflection but you're seeing inaccurate reflections, aren't you? You're seeing distortions of the real you because of the mirrors that you're looking into. But, you know, as we go through the different stages of our life, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, from girlhood to the grave, we might say, we've got to be primarily focused on achieving the spiritual beauty that God calls precious by looking into the mirror of his word rather than looking into the distorted standards of the world, or what we might refer to, figuratively speaking, as the mirrors of the world, which the world will hold up, hold up to us as women and say, now this is what's beautiful. Instead, we're going to look to the mirror of God's word. So talking about our, the different stages of womanhood, our journey into womanhood begins with being our parents' daughter, right? And as being a teenager, we have a group of teenagers over here, Uh, And, you know, before we even look to God's word, to God's mirror, to see how God describes a beautiful teenager, a truly beautiful teenager, we can look to the world's formula for teenage success and realize that it fails miserably, doesn't it? I mean, you think about the celebrity teens. It just is sickening to watch, to see, like, these 12-, 13-year-old girls kind of come into the spotlight and then just go into unbelievable immorality you know how many celebrity teens need help for drug and alcohol addictions they have failed relationships it just seems they're like plummeting deeper and deeper into immorality in this futile search for happiness we see that the world's formula does not bring lasting happiness does it I think about Miley Cyrus I think everybody has seen Miley Cyrus in the news you know, I read one time that her, her real name is not Miley Cyrus. Maybe everybody already knew this. I didn't know this. But um, her real name is Destiny Hope Cyrus. I think she has had it legally changed to Miley Cyrus. But her, the name Miley came about because as a little toddler, they said she was just so smiley, and she smiled all the time. And so, but she couldn't say smiley. She said Miley. And so that little nickname just stuck, and so she became Miley Cyrus. Isn't that heartbreaking to think about a sweet little toddler, innocent and precious, and then look at what she's involved with today? To me, it just seems like a, a cry for help. You know, it just keeps getting worse and worse what she does. But but we can see that the world's formulas truly doesn't work. But what does the true mirror of God's word tell us a beautiful teenager looks like? Now, of course, we don't have time today to cover every aspect of that, but let's look at one. One aspect of true teenage beauty that God describes in His Word. I love signs. My husband has teased me. He says, "No more signs for the house, Courtney. We've got plenty there." I just love cute sayings and little signs. My plan is now to get pillows that have little sayings embroidered on them because technically that's not a sign. So I could. But, but I saw a sign recently and it, and it made me laugh. It said, um, "Raising teenagers is like trying to nail Jello to a wall." And that did make me laugh. <laughs> but, you know, but when you think about it, really, that sign, the creator of that sign, sort of takes for granted that raising teenagers is going to be difficult because they're going to be somewhat stubborn, somewhat rebellious, and it's going to be like trying to nail jello to the wall. But, you know, the world often does say that, that that's the typical teen, right? Kind of rebellious, don't tell me what to do. I've got my own way, I know better than my parents, that, that sort of image. But how does the mirror of God's word show us that God sees young people who are like that, who are rebellious and unloving and disrespectful to their parents? Does God say, well, that's just the typical teen, that's not really a big deal? Well, let's look at some, a verse, Romans 1, 28. And here it's interesting, as we read, listen to the sins with which Paul, through inspiration, lists disobedience to parents. And I think this gives us a a new respect for how seriously God views disobedience to parents. And I know we've got some precious teenagers in this room. I'm not... (laughs) Romans one twenty eight says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a debased mind, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. And what's next? Disobedient to parents undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. We know that the teenage years do bring with them some inescapable drama, right? I have three teenage daughters. I know this. (laughs) That you have some inescapable drama because you have new life lessons being learned and experienced, right? But God's word shows us, in God's mirror shows us, that a rebellious or disrespectful attitude should never be reflected in the life of a Christian teen. Remember what the New Testament tells us? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And, of course, we know that the only exception to this would be the situation where a child might be told by his or her parent to do something contrary to God's word. And we know that the Bible tells us in Acts 5.29, remember, that we're to obey God rather than men. You know, Solomon, the wisest human being ever, said through inspiration, Hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. You know, I was thinking when I was reading over my lesson, we had three girls, and then we had a surprise blessing of a little boy. We had not planned on that. <laughs> and uh, sometimes I think we were, after the three girls, we were maybe starting to think, well, hey, we're kind of getting the hang of this. So God gave us Chase <laughs> to keep us on our toes. But um, when I was originally working on this lesson, Chase and I, I don't even remember what had happened. But there was some situation in which he was failing to realize the wisdom of my instruction. And so I, I thought of this verse that I had been looking at, and I said, Chase, read this verse. So he read it, and he read, you know, For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. And I said, so what is that saying? And he said, well, yeah, when you have to do what your mom and dad are telling you, you just feel like you're all bound up in chains. <laughs> like, like, like these kind of chains, Okay. <laughs> And I said, no. <laughs> it's not talking about those kind of chains. Oh, it says ornaments of grace unto thy head like jewelry, like, you know. oops, I'm messing up my mic. But that kind of chain, a pretty chain, something that makes you look beautiful in God's eyes. So we're working on that. But, <laughs> but you know, Solomon vividly describes here the beauty that God sees in an obedient young person. Well, although the, the teen years can seem way too long, I know, when you're experiencing them, once you make it through, they, you, they really go by a lot faster than you think, don't you? And suddenly, you're an adult, and you think, how did this happen? But and for many of us as women, that next stage of life involves becoming a Christian wife, right? And again, we have to make sure that we're looking to God's word to see what he says the reflection of a beautiful wife looks like rather than to the world's description of a beautiful wife. Let's reread 1 Peter 3, 3 through 6 and think about those verses in this regard. Remember it says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, "...with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror." You know, sadly, our society is grossly lacking in its appreciation of a submissive, gentle, and quiet spirit, isn't it? A lot of times in our society, we see the outspoken, domineering woman being celebrated, don't we? I know the girls and I took a self-defense class not long ago, and I remember on the first night of class, all of of us women were to introduce ourselves and just tell a little something about ourselves. And I remember one lady. She spoke up. She gave her name, and then she said, "I forget how long she had been married, but she said it had been quite some time." And she said, "Yes, I've been married, say, 25 years, but you know, my husband still knows that I'm the boss." I thought, "Oh, okay." You know, and you don't have to look very far in our society, do you, to see that that anti-scriptural push for that type of type of woman. There's a popular Disney sitcom. Have y'all heard of uh, Good Luck Charlie? That show, it's on, I don't have that, uh, I don't have cable, but, but Good Luck Charlie, it's had some other issues just recently. I think they featured a homosexual couple on that show I saw on the news. But, but in their season one episode, it's entitled Up a Tree, and the situation is the kids, I think their names are Teddy and PJ, but they're somewhat older, like middle school, high school years, and I guess they no longer play in their treehouse that they have in the backyard, so the dad decides we're going to just you know, tear down that treehouse. There's no point in it anymore. Well, the kids get upset, so they stage this sit-down strike in the treehouse because they're you know, just refusing to let their dad tear down the treehouse. Well, the dad is outside looking up at these kids up in the treehouse telling them, come down now, and they won't do it. Well, listen to what he says. Frustrated, the dad yells, you know what, I am done messing around, I am bringing out the big guns. Yeah, that's right, mom. (laughs) Okay, well, then Bob goes inside and has the following conversation with his wife, Amy. Well, Amy is obviously amused by this, and she says, would you calm down? And Bob, who's agitated at this point, says, but I'm the father, I'm in charge around here. Well, Amy just rolls her eyes. And he then quickly says, well, when you're not home. <laughs> you know, in order to be truly beautiful Christian wives, we've got to constantly work to put God's word into our hearts to keep these kind of false messages from the world from affecting our minds, don't we? Remember what Paul says in Romans 12, too? And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, sometimes, you've probably heard this too, but I've heard even Christian men talk about, well, maybe my my Christian wife will give me permission to do this or that. You know, and, and when you hear that kind of thing, that's really the influence of our society, isn't it? With its distorted reflection of what family roles should be like. Because we know in Ephesians 5, remember what we read there? Verses 22 through 23, God tells us, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. But again, and here's what the world misses. This is not a master-slave relationship, is it? But it's actually a, a union, a beautiful relationship so special that it's compared to the relationship that Christ has with his bride, The church. Verse 23 tells us, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, to me, the next verse is the key, and and if people in the world could understand this, we would solve a lot of problems. But if they would realize what the next verse shows us is the position of honor that we are blessed to have as Christian wives. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. I'm happy to be cherished, aren't you? That doesn't sound bad to me at all. But this is what the mirror of God's word shows us, that a beautiful Christian wife, whose husband is following God's pattern for the family, is blessed to have. Well, for many of us, the next stage of life involves, can you guess? (laughs) Motherhood. (laughs) Motherhood. Now, and, and for the women who don't have children, you know, there are so many children and young adults in our society who have a void in their lives, don't they? And they need someone to step in and be a mother figure to them. So these biblical principles of parenting that we're talking about would apply to women serving in that capacity as well. There's a sweet Christian friend of mine at Eastside, and she, she told me this one time, and I thought, oh, that's so profound. She said, if parenting is not the hardest thing that you have ever tried to do, then you're not doing it right. And I thought, oh, yeah, very good. <laughs> that makes sense. And, you know, in terms of parenting, the world offers us a multitude of mirrors, we might say, that the world holds up and says, now you look, look to this book or look to this, this professional to see if you're a, a, a successful, beautiful parent, we might say. But again, we have to look to God's word to judge our parenting success or failure. You know, in 2012, you remember when those little children were shot at um, Sandy Hook Elementary School? Uh, 20 of them, I believe. Um, and that was just heartbreaking, wasn't it? You know, I love children, so I'm going to keep going. So I don't but, you know, it's it's so sad to think that those little children suffered for a little while. I mean, it had to be scary for them, and they went through a lot of physical pain. And after that happened, I remember some of my friends talked about, well, you know, maybe I should, I should put my child in this school instead of this school because they, I, I could get to them faster if something happened. Or maybe I should homeschool my children so it would be less likely – for them to have that kind of situation. You know, just people going through all the different possibilities to try to figure out a way that maybe I could make my child safer physically. And, and that's totally understandable. Um, those of us who are in the Marable Alcoa area, within, I guess, maybe the past 18 months or so, we had one attempted kidnapping. There was a, a girl, I want to say she was 12 or 13, who was at a local volleyball game and left the bleachers to go to the restroom. And a man tried to get her and had a car waiting outside. Someone else was waiting outside to pick him up. And, and thankfully, she got away. And then we also had a, a, an episode where there was a man in our restroom at Big Lots in Alcoa. And he attacked, tried to attack a lady in the restroom. So we, those of us who are moms in the Maribel Alcoa area, I think, have had our sense of um, physical danger kind of heightened. And, and we've been alerted to that. Of course, the girls and I took a self-defense class. So we have lethal knees and elbows. (laughs) So if you need an escort to your car today, we will be happy to... (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's normal for us to want our kids to be safe from physical danger. But those of us, as Christian mothers, we've got to realize that there is a much, much greater danger to our children than any physical harm that the world could ever expose them to. And that is the spiritual danger from Satan himself who is singularly focused on killing our children spiritually. You know, the Bible tells us that it doesn't matter where your child goes to school, whether your child goes to public school, private school, is homeschooled, there is a lion after each and every one of our children, isn't there? And a lion that's not seeking to, to devour our children physically, which would put them through fear and physical pain for a relatively short period of time, but a lion that is seeking to send our children's souls to hell for eternity. You know, First Peter 5 8 gives us a sobering reminder of this reality. And I'm sure you're familiar with this verse. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, the world reminds us of the importance of everything from stranger danger to brushing your teeth, brush, making sure your children brush their teeth, right? My mom was, I have to say this, <laughs> my mom was always just a real stickler about we had to brush our teeth regularly. And I have never had a cavity, thanks to this woman right here. <laughs> and so when my kids were little, I was always so worried if they fell asleep in the car on the way home, I would wake them up to brush their teeth because. You know, and if mom were there visiting, she, I would say, well, we've got to get them up and brush their teeth. And she would say, oh, yeah, because if you don't, you know those teeth are going to rot and fall out by the morning. Like, where is my mother and what have you done with her? But that's just a little extra there. <laughs> but those, it is important to take care of our children physically and to teach them about the dangers of the world and how to protect their health and so on. But more than anything, we have to protect our children spiritually, don't we? You know... When I think back to what the society that maybe our grandmothers and our great grandmothers lived in, I'm sure parenting wasn't easy. But I would I, from what I understand, you know, when they were raising their children, they were growing, growing up in a society that generally speaking believed in God and generally speaking believed that the Bible was the word of God. But as mothers and grandmothers today, we're growing up in a different society, or, or raising our children, I should say, in a different society. An increasingly immoral society, an increasingly godless society. So we as mothers and grandmothers have a huge job in front of us, don't we? Because we've got to start from the ground up. We've got to make sure these kids know that there is a God and why we know that. We have to teach them why we know the Bible is the inerrant word of God. Then we have to move on to te- we have got the whole— issue of denominationalism that that clouds the religious picture. We've got to teach them the New Testament pattern for the church, the New Testament pattern for worship. There's a lot that we have to, to, we're responsible for making sure our children know, so that they are rooted and grounded and ready for the attacks of Satan that are coming. You know, it angers me to see Satan try to plant seeds, even in the earliest ages of our kids' lives. I know there's a PBS cartoon called Dinosaur Train. Have you seen Dinosaur Train? I spend a lot of time with young children, can you tell? But in this cartoon, you have evolutionary concepts being taught. The whole thing, the idea is the dinosaur train travels through, like, the Jurassic period and this and that. And it's actually teaching, if if you notice, it's teaching evolutionary concepts. It's just all packaged nicely with cute little cartoon characters but it's getting in the idea of evolution. You know, and speaking of younger children, too, and Satan's attempts to try to influence our youngest children, I think one of the biggest ways he does this is by convincing parents that when they look into the mirror, if they see a person or a parent who is is permissive in the name of love for the child, that they're seeing a beautiful reflection of a parent. You know, but God's word teaches us something different, doesn't it? God's word teaches us that true love is tough love when it needs to be, right? Love that cares enough to stop and take action, even when it's inconvenient, (laughs) and it will be inconvenient, won't it? To stop and take action and teach our children the extreme seriousness of disrespect and disobedience to parents. You know, Dr. Phil He may say that spanking confuses children. He does say that spanking (laughs) confuses children. But that's not right, is it? Because God's word, God's mirror shows us something different. Let's look at a few verses. Proverbs 13, verse 24, and I'll just kind of read through some, some of these quickly. God tells us, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs 22, verse 5 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. I relate to this verse frequently <laughs> with my little boy sometimes. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs 19, 18, chasten your son while there is hope. And Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, and again, in today, in our language today, we might call this, instead of a rod, we might call it, a switch, or a wooden spoon, or my preference is the belt, but um, but he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod, and what's the next phrase? You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell, not confuse him, right? And obviously, God is not condoning child abuse, is he? But he's telling us that part of proper loving discipline of our children involves physical discipline. In Ephesians 6 and verse 4, God tells us, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So good parenting involves both, right? The nurture and the love, but also the admonition. Titus 2, 3 through 5 teaches us, and I know you're familiar with those verses, teaches us that we as women are to be keepers at home. You know, I've spent many hours sitting on the sidelines of Chase's soccer games. And so now when I see that word keeper, I think about the keeper in soccer or the goalie. You know, they call him the keeper. I do know that much about soccer. (laughs) That's about it. I know if the ball goes in the goal, that's good for us if if we do it. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, when I see that, that expression, you're a keeper at home, I think about what that goalie in soccer has to do. I feel sorry for those, those little guys who have to play that position because they have a lot of pressure on them. They've got to watch at every angle and make sure that they're ready if that ball comes toward them. And a lot of times, if they do a good job defending the goal, they really don't get much glory for that. People remember, like, oh, look, you let that one get by. And that's what people remember. It's a, it's a hard job with a lot of pressure, and you've got to be on the lookout at every turn. But I think there are a lot of similarities to the analogy of us being keepers at home today, especially in the society that we live in. Because more than ever, we as keepers at home are having to block our homes from Satan's efforts to get in, aren't we? We're having to be keepers in that sense that we're at every turn trying to block Satan's efforts to get into the minds of our children and our families and influence us and our children. You know, Chase's last game that I got to go to I felt so sorry for this little goalie. He was so cute. and But he had a little bit of a hard time. Once or twice, he just got distracted, poor thing. He, something was going on that was really interesting, apparently, on the sidelines, and he let the ball just go right past him. Well, and then, several other times, he was paying attention, but he would wait to do anything until the ball came really close to the goal, and then he would decide to take action, and it was too late, because they were so close, they would just, boom kick it right in, and and things didn't go too well for our team that day. (laughs) But, you know, I think that can easily happen to us as keepers at home, can it? And I think there are so many things to distract us, especially in our modern society. All the devices we have, iPods, iPads, television, you know, computers, we've just got so many things constantly bombarding us, and so many things that can get into our homes and into our lives and influence our children. We have to really be on the lookout, not to be distracted, and to not let things get so close to our families. You know, I was thinking about, in, in generations gone by, I, you know, if you had a, when I was a kid, you know, if, if you had a friend who wanted to come to the house to play with you, what did that friend have to do? Come to your house and knock on your door, and your mother would let that child in, or say, mm, no, not today, <laughs> you know, or a person could call you on the phone, but in years past, there was one phone, right, centrally located, and pretty much everybody could know that the phone had just rung and that your, you know whoever was getting a phone call, and you could find out who that was and kind of know what was going on. But today, can things get so close into our homes so quickly? I mean, think about the devices that our children have, you know, with, iP- with iPods and iPads and text messages and email messages, and I don't know all the appropriate terms. My kids always fuss at me for getting the... You know, I call it like a, a message when it's really a text or whatever. But, but we have so many things that can get into our homes. So we've got to just really be on guard and aware of what's going on. You remember what God told the Israelites in order to maintain their spiritual purity? He said in Deuteronomy eleven nineteen, 19, Lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall teach them to your children Speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You know, we've got to think about what words our children are laying up in their hearts. And with all these new technological devices that we have, people from all over the world, I mean, countless people have access to our children, if we let that happen, right? We've got to be so aware because... There are so many ways so many avenues for people to get into our homes and influence our children let's keep our televisions and our computers in public areas of the house so that we know what our kids are watching and again i'm not good with technological things my husband is the computer whiz so if i have any problems i just say kevin please fix this and but i know there are all kinds of filters that you can get you know your children can stumble across terrible things inadvertently, you know, and so there are just so many things that we have to be aware of, but let's know what's coming in to our kids' minds through their texts, through their messages, you know, and and again, we have to explain to our kids, our teenagers, we are doing this because we love you, and because you're so precious to us, we can't afford not to do this, you know, and again, teenagers, remember, try not to think of chains like this, right, (laughs) but think of the ornamental chains because you need your parents to be able to know what's coming into your life so they can help you and guide you. I know my girls, they tease, Kevin goes on a yearly mission trip to Peru where his dad is from and the girls will tease that, man, mom, we get a a Facebook, a friend request on Facebook from a boy and dad knows about it in Peru before we know know about it. Yes. because we love you. (laughs) But we do have to be so careful. You know, one of the things I thought about in preparing this lesson is thinking about the music that our kids listen to. You know, I hadn't, you know, paid attention to popular music in a long time. But in researching for this lesson, I looked up some of the songs that are popular or have been in the past few months. And these songs are not songs that are considered the risque or whatever that you but I mean, and they are risque. But I mean. They're just like the top 40 songs, very popular in our society. But when you think about the words that our children are laying up in their hearts, and you listen to some of the lyrics, the words to these songs, it's pretty sobering. And I apologize for the crude wording of some of these. Um, It's almost embarrassing to say some of these. (laughs) But I think it's important for us to know what some of the lyrics are in current songs. And again, these are artists, too, that the world says are comparatively wholesome of course by the world standards and I realize some of these songs have a catchy beat but let's just pay attention though to the words that we're listening to when we listen to when we choose our music I know Taylor Swift has a song called 22 and here are some of the lyrics to that song I don't know about you but I'm feeling 22 everything will be all right if you keep me next to you you don't know about me but I'll bet you want to Everything will be all right if we just keep dancing. It feels like one of those nights we ditch the whole scene. It feels like one of those nights we won't be sleeping. It feels like one of those nights you look like bad news. I gotta have you. I gotta have you. Another song that I looked at, Justin Bieber has a song called Beauty and a Beat. His song, just a little excerpt from it, it says... When the music makes you move, baby, do it like you do. Body rock, girl, I can feel your body rock. Then uh, a rapper comes in, Nicki Minaj. I did not know anything about her until I researched this lesson, but she is a rapper that even the world acknowledges is very risque, by the world standards even. But she comes in, uses profanity, refers to a female dog, makes another very vulgar sexual reference that I won't explain, but horrible. You know, and this is the top 40 type of music that a lot, and, I, and sadly, I have heard some of our Christian young people listening to this kind of music. But we've got to think about what words we're laying up in our hearts. I know these songs are popular among today's young people, but they certainly don't match God's instructions to young people, and to all people for that matter, to think on pure things, Philippians 4.8, and to flee youthful lusts. 2 Timothy 2.22. You know, and speaking of popularity, the world tends to show us that the reflection of a successful parent is one whose child is popular and fits in well with his or her peers. But, you know, again, we have to look to God's word instead of the world, don't we? I've heard parents, Christian parents, sadly, say things like, well, you know, I just don't want my child to, to miss out on going to the prom. Or I don't want my child to miss out on, you know, going mixed swimming or whatever the activity may be. And, you know, the thing is, when you say something like that, it sounds like what you're more concerned about is your child's social acceptance than with, whether or not your child's living according to God's standards. And I know it's natural and normal. As a parent, we don't ever want to see our child have to, have to go through being left out of the group. Because we know that hurts, doesn't it? It's not easy even as an adult, is it, to have to be different and to feel left out? We don't want our children to, to have to take a stand apart from the rest and miss out on what the world calls fun. But again, think about what's the trade-off? I always think about it this way. Nobody in eternal torment will ever say, but it was worth it, right? And nobody in Heaven will ever say, but boy, I missed out on so many things on Earth. You know, a home in heaven is worth it all. You know, we have to teach our children. I think to have the the faiths Hall of Fame kind of faith. You know, remember Hebrews eleven. We read about there in verse thirteen. It says, "These all died in faith, talking about Christians who lived before us, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, or or faithful." those faithful to God, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were what? Strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Did they fit in? Mm-mm. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country, Therefore, God is not ashamed to, call the, to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You know, not only does being a keeper at home, though, involve blocking Satan's attempts to get into our home, we have to block out all that bad stuff, don't we? But then what do we have to do? We have to fill it with the good stuff, don't we? You know, we can miss so many opportunities when we just get too busy, right? Right? I think we have to work hard and I know it's hard uh, but work hard to to restore our family dinner times you know so we can talk to our children every day and know what's going on in their lives and have the opportunity to guide them by knowing what's going on in their lives and and what they need help with and especially family bible times right there's just no way I I know and I'm sure at White Hook you've got fantastic bible class teachers I'm so impressed with the classrooms that I saw down there (laughs) Um, But, you know, class, 45 minutes, two times a week, is not going to ground your child in the truth, is it? You just can't learn it all in that amount of time. We've got to spend time daily teaching our children. You know, think about how many hours a day our kids spend on their secular education or on sports and different things related to the the secular world. You know, I'm sad to say that in, in times past, over the years, I've seen... Christian families who would let their children skip worship services because of homework or because of a school function or activity. I even remember one time years ago in Texas, I noticed that during the Sunday morning sermon, there was one of our deacon's daughters, who was I think probably middle school age or early high school, was sitting at the back of the auditorium, and during the sermon she was doing her homework. She had her whole stack of books stacked up on the floor in front of her, and was just doing her homework during the sermon. And a sweet, precious girl. And I I think she did get a very good college scholarship, you know. But I'm reminded of what one preacher said one time, and I I really love this. He said, I would rather have my child in heaven learning his ABCs than to have my child in hell doing trigonometry. And I thought that was a very good point. We have to remember what Matthew 16, 26 tells us. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Well, finally, we're going to talk about one last stage. And this stage of our Christian womanhood overlaps all the other stages. You know, um, some Christian women may not marry. Some may not have children. We may be widowed. But as Christian sisters... That stage overlaps everything else, doesn't it? When we become Christians, we are Christian sisters to our brothers and sisters in Christ for the rest of our days, aren't we? In our next lesson, we're going to talk about modesty, which has to do a lot with our responsibility as Christian sisters to our brothers in Christ. But, you know, we also have responsibilities to our Christian sisters. And again, the world shows us the reflection of a typical woman, I think, oftentimes at least, as being kind of catty and jealous and backbiting and gossipy. Sometimes, you know, you see that image portrayed. But again, while that may be what the world says is typical, God's word shows us that those things should have no part in the reflection of a Christian woman. You know, even in New Testament times, I think it's interesting. We read about trouble or strife arising between women, even in New Testament times. In Philippians 4, 2 and 3, we read Paul's inspired words, and he says, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Apparently these two women had had some issues, hadn't they? <laughs> but he implored them to be of the same mind. And I urge you also, true companion, help these who, women who labored with me in the gospel. And then he goes on to describe the proper attitude of any Christian. Let your gentleness be known to all men. That's the key to good relationships with other women, isn't it? Being gentle and being kind. But again, sadly, I think our society is losing its appreciation for gentleness and a concern for others. You know, recently I was shopping for T-shirts or looking for T-shirts on an online site for a department store, and I just started scrolling through all the T-shirts, and it just struck me how many t shirts said things that promoted self. T shirts for little kids. You know, like I saw t shirts that said things like pretty like mommy, or uh, number awesome, or awesome ends with me, or uh, seriously handsome, or beautiful. You know, t shirts for kids to wear that say these kind of things. You know, and it just occurred to me, I don't think in years gone by you would have seen that kind of thing sold for children in stores. I don't think you would. Sadly, our society seems to be emphasizing me, right, self. But again, God's word shows us something different. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 instructs us, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. You know, as Christian sisters, we have to be mindful of our responsibility to others, especially our Christian brothers and sisters, in terms of benevolence. And I have to say that the ladies here at White Oak and all the members are just so sweet about that. Every time I have gotten sick... In I guess the past two years that mom and dad have been here I get so many notes it's just so precious you know even I'm, I'm starting to feel better and I just keep getting the notes they, they work very well <laughs> but I know the ladies here and the, the members here at White Oak are so good about that and that's so important you know have have you heard the expression people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and I, I know we've heard that a lot but that's very true isn't it it's a very true statement Sadly, I've heard of Christian women who have lost loved ones or gone through a a terrible illness and have felt so neglected by their Christian family that they actually left the church. Now, I know that God obviously is going to hold all of us as individuals accountable for the decisions that we make. But we also know from God's word that he will also hold those of us accountable who fail in our duties to our Christian brothers and sisters. Remember what Matthew 25, verse 31, what Christ himself said, giving us a a really sobering reminder of the tremendous importance of even the smallest act of Christian kindness and benevolence. said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So we see that a beautiful woman in God's mirror is one full of kind acts toward others. So, when we hear the phrase, the mirror doesn't lie, just remember that the only mirror that the world offers us that supposedly doesn't lie is just part of the Snow White fairy tale, right? (laughs) It's just a fairy tale. The world will offer us countless mirrors showing us reflections of what a beautiful teenager looks like, what a beautiful wife looks like, what a beautiful mother looks like, and a beautiful woman. But if we look to all of these mirrors that the world offers us, We're just going to be deceived by illusions, aren't we? But we have to remember that the only mirror that will accurately reflect how we look to God, our creator, is the mirror of his word. And through it, we can find an incorruptible beauty that injury, aging, even death itself cannot touch, cannot fade. It's actually a beauty that grows more beautiful as we age and actually culminates in our physical death. I like the way Matthew Henry described it. He said, The beauty of holiness is that which the grave that consumes all other beauty cannot touch or do any damage to. And of course, we know God expressed it best in his inspired words to Solomon where he said, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Thank you so much. (laughs) you. <laughs>